This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. We're going to look at a lot of scripture and some of you will say, well, what's new? Well, we're going to live by the Bible, all right? I'm going to read the Word of God. I believe that's what's wrong with our nation right now. You know, the Ten Commandments aren't ten suggestions. They're ten commandments and they're not multiple choice either. So get a hold of the Word of God, and God will get in you. Now, once you get a Bible, go with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 26. I've been talking about generational iniquities here, the word genetics. And we understand genetics from the physical standpoint, just as far as you look like your mother and you act like your father, and just the, the way we behave sometimes like our grandparents. But even spiritually, there's things that take place. Deuteronomy 30, 19, it says, I set before you this day life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants or your offspring may live. So he gives us a choice, and the choice was either blessing or cursing, death or life. But in Exodus 20, verse 5, it says that God will visit the iniquities of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation. So when we hear the word iniquity... The, the Hebrew word for iniquity is A-V-A-H, Ava, which means to bend in a direction, to twist in a direction, or to even to live distorted in a direction. So what ultimately happens that we have these tendencies in our life, these weaknesses in our life, other words, repeated sin that's occurred generation after generation, and it gets bigger, it gets greater, and it gets stronger. And so the gold here is this right here today. Jesus came to set us free from darkness. He didn't come for us to cope with it. He said, I set you free from darkness. So let's look what the Word has to say. Uh, Proverbs 26, verse 2. Like a flighting sparrow, like a flying swallow returns to his nest, is what one translation says. So a curse without a cause shall not alight or come to rest. An unwarranted, an undeserved, or a causeless cause, it can't come to light. So right here through this passage, it tells me, if there's a curse that's in your life, it's there for a reason. Something has taken place that caused that to happen. And so today, we're going to look biblically about what a generational curse looks like, but also we can walk in freedom. It doesn't have to dominate us. So go to 1 Corinthians Chapter number 5, 1 Corinthians 5, and as you're turning there, let me just give you a little bit of analogy as you're going there. You know, when you have a weed in your, in your yard, that weed is a container of seeds. And even though that weed may die, if those seeds get in the ground, that weed's going to come back. And it's very similar in our own lives. And so, you know, you'll see biblically today, there's areas that we can deal with it, and God will help us. He wants to set us free. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality, sexual sin among you. And such sexual immorality is it is not even named among the Gentiles, the heathen, that a man has his father's wife. That's a sick thought, isn't it? Verse 2. And you are puffed up or you are arrogant. And have not rather mourned. And so he's telling there, instead of being grieved about this that's going on within their church, they're boasting. They're like, yeah, look at this. 
And he goes on to say in verse 2, that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed is absent in the body, but present in the spirit have already judged, as though I were present, him who has done this deed. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan. Now, when he says deliver one to Satan, that it implies a, a removal of God's protective power. And you know why it's going to remove God's protective power? It's as if he's saying, I'm giving the devil permission to go to work in your life. Not a good thought, but there's truth right here. Keep reading verse 5. Deliver such one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. In other words, there's going to be suffering in this person's life that will bring humiliation but also repentance, that God loves them so much. And the end result is very clear. And he goes on to say in verse 5, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So in a nutshell, what he's telling me and you here is that you give this person over to the destruction of their flesh, but because the destruction gets so intense in their life, they repent and they give their heart to Jesus and ultimately they spend eternity in heaven. Now that may seem harsh, but that's a good thing. You know why? If you're here on earth, if, if you're very lucky, you're going to live to be a hundred, probably closer to 70. But eternity's forever. And so this was God's heart. I want to save people. Verse six, your glory or your boasting is not good about what's going on. Do you not know that a little leaven or just a little yeast will leaven the whole lump? Now, I said in the first service, I'm not a baker, okay? But I do understand that to make bread, it takes just a little, little, little bit of yeast. And that little bit of yeast would impact the whole batch. Now, when he talks about leaven here, leaven has a, a fermenting, uh, it has a, a fermenting action that illustrates the corrupting power of sin. It's exactly what this is talking about. He's telling us how powerful sin is. So he goes on to say this in verse 7. Therefore, purge out, get rid of, clean out the old leaven, that you may be a new or fresh lump, since you are truly unleavened, since you are truly uncontaminated. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. So when we read our Passover, Christ was sacrificed for us, we can hoot and holler about that. But yet we really need to understand what he's talking about. So now we go back to the Old Testament and remember that the Egyptians were in bondage, or the, the Israelites were in bondage to the Egyptians. And God sent nine plagues to, to the Pharaoh and the people of Egypt to let the people of God go. And he would never do it. Now remember during those nine plagues, none of them affected the righteous. None of them affected God's children. I'm going to put a little hope in you today. I'm going to tell you, God still protects the righteous. And as no matter how ugly this earth is going to get, and it's going to get ugly, okay? 
There's going to be incredible destruction. And the reason I say that, when you purposely defy the things of God, when you willingly override the things of God like America's done, get ready. But hold on to this. God will protect the righteous. So in that setting, the tenth plague, the Lord said, this one's going to be really destructive. It's going to bring death. And so God said, the only way that you're going to be protected is you've got to get a male lamb that's spotless, that without, without blemish, and sacrifice him. And take the blood and put it on your doorposts and on your lentils. But not only was that, he said, then I want you to, to eat the lamb. Partake of the lamb's body. Now, that's exactly what we do in the communion elements. We, we partake of the, the blood of Jesus for the remission of sin. But also the blood of Jesus, according to Revelations 12, 11, says, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. So not only does Lord Jesus' blood cleanse us, but it says, I marked you as overcomer, and then we'll partake of the, the broken body. It brings healing to us. It brings victory to us. So on that day that the spirit of death was sent, the only thing that mattered... Didn't matter where you lived, didn't matter what your occupation was, didn't matter what your degree was. The only thing that mattered was your home under the blood of Jesus, under that blood. So in this passage right here, he tells us one of the ways you purge out the yeast in your life is through the blood of Jesus. Now, I don't care what you've done. There's power in the blood. There's power in the name. Still to this day. So we keep reading here as we jump to verse number 8. Therefore, let us keep the feast. The feast of unleavened bread. The feast of Passover. Not with old leaven. Not with the old ways of the Old Testament. Not with the ways that we have to, to sacrifice of lamb. The lamb was already sacrificed for us. Jesus did it once and for all. And his blood had an eternal warranty. That's forever. So we don't have to go to Old Testament customs. That's what he's talking about here. And he said, nor with the leaven of malice, evil, and wickedness, but with unleavened bread. John 6, 48, Jesus himself said this, I'm the bread of life. I am the bread of life. So when I partake of the blood and the broken body, and it's, it's I'm partaking of the things of eternity. There's a washing, there's a cleansing, there's a strength. And he says, with sincerity and truth. Now, when you see the word sincerity, it has to do with my heart. I receive the things of God. I receive Jesus by faith from my heart. And he said, with truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus didn't say, I am a way. A truth, a life. He said, I am the way. No other way. I am the truth and the life. So when you put all this together, Jesus is saying, come to me. Receive my blood and my broken body. And begin to live from your heart for me in sincerity and with truth. And that's part of the way we begin to purge our bloodline. Now, let's do a little history lesson this morning. Go with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 12. Genesis 12. And I'm going to show you a generational iniquity in action. 
exactly how it begins to look. And so we start here in Genesis 12, verse 1. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to be in Genesis a bunch today. So just get ready. Keep jumping with me, okay? Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. You know why God was telling him to do that? Because his father was a man named Terah. Terah was an idol worshiper. And God said, get away from him. Get away from him or it's going to mess you up. Now, when he tells Abram to leave his father's house in that country, Abraham's choice would affect history. The long-term effects of your choices. Not only Abraham's life, but mine and yours. Keep reading. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. Now, this is the biblical concept of blessing. And what God does here, God is at work in his children's life counteracting the curse by giving us a blessing. Do you know, whenever one of us are born into this earth, we are born with a sin nature. I don't care who you are. And when you look at that precious newborn, whether you want to believe it or not, the sin nature is in him. So God said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give him an opportunity to walk in a blessing. So when we look at this passage here, this man named Abraham is one of the patriarchs. He's one of the heroes of the Bible, but you'll find out he wasn't perfect. You're not perfect. It's okay. God will help us. So now we jump to Genesis 12, verse 10. Same chapter, verse 10. Now there was famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarah, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Sarah, you're a 10. You're a fox. You're hot, darling. That's it. I get goofy looking at you. Verse 12. Therefore it will happen when the Egyptians see you, that they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister that it may be well with me for your sake and that I may live because of you. Now, what you begin to see right here is Abraham acted out of fear. When the pressure of man came upon him, he lied. He said to his wife, lie for me. Tell him I'm not your husband. Tell him you're my sister. Verse 14. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman and that she was very beautiful. And the princes of the Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to the Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. And he treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkey, and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. And let me just say this. A lot of you men have thought, Man, I'm treated so well because I'm so sharp. You're not so sharp. You're treated well because that woman's sitting next to you. 
That's the You ought to look over and say, thank you, dear. Thank you. Thank you for being a champion for me. Verse 17. But the Lord plagued the Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abraham and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here's your wife. Take her and go your way. So the Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So we begin to see this man named Abraham. He yielded to a weakness in his life called lying. And it caused problems in his life because he began to to compromise. And so the weakness was, we saw, when under pressure or man came after him, he lied. Turn with me to Genesis 20. Genesis chapter 20. And we pick up here with the man named Abram again in verse number 1. Now Abraham journeyed from there to the south. And he dwelt between Kadeshur and, and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah his wife. Now get that. Abraham Sarah of Sarah his wife. She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and he took Sarah. Now here's this man, Abraham, a hero of faith. And he gives into the same temptation of the same weakness again. And now by his choices, he's turned this sinful act into a sinful pattern. He begins to yield to this tendency. This temptation. But remember when we look back at 1 Corinthians 5, he said, purge it. Get rid of it because just a little bit will impact the whole batch. Keep reading. Verse 3. But God came to Elimelech in a dream by night and he said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man. Oh, happy day. Because of the woman who you've taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Now get a hold of that right there. Abimelech, this king, he didn't say, will you slay a righteous man? He said, since he was the king, the leader of the nation, he said, will you slay a righteous nation? So this shows me right here. When a person that's in leadership or has influence in life and he yields to certain sin, the whole nation can suffer the consequences of it. Even if he endorses it. And so right here, Abimelech understands. Ooh, there's power in sin. Verse 5. Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she, Sarah, even she herself said, he is my brother. So you see, Abraham has this tendency to lie. And now Sarah has this tendency to lie. And biblically, I I don't know if I can prove this. I don't believe I can. But this is just a thought for you, okay? Could this have played a part in the reason that Sarah couldn't get pregnant? Because with sin is a curse. 
And I looked and she chose the lie. He chose the lie. Keep reading. He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart, in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld from you sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, he said, I kept you from sinning. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. He will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So we see right here that Abraham, he gives in. He gives in to this pattern again in his life. And when I look at what he began to give into, think about right now in your life. Is there certain tendencies in your life? Whether it's sin, whether it's a behavior, whether it's an attitude that dominates you or just keeps keeps coming around? See, I've had that before. I've walked in that, and and I believe I'm safe to say that every one of us, regardless what type of home you came from, there's generational stuff in our lives. It can look different for every one of us, from anger to sexual sin to alcohol to anger to rebellion. And so just think about this in your life. Now, this isn't to throw condemnation at you. I'm going to tell you, the Lord's going to set you free today. He's going to help us. So turn with me to Genesis 26. Genesis 26. And I'm not going to read the first part of Genesis 26. But if you read in there, it said that there was a blessing on Abraham's life because he obeyed God. He walked in his commandments and he walked in his statutes. I believe Abraham got his life right. I believe he got his heart right. So here we pick up Abraham's son named Isaac. Genesis 26, verse 6. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And the men of the place asked about his wife. And Isaac said, she is my sister. For he was afraid to say, she is my wife. Because he thought, least the men of the place, they kill me for Rebecca because she is beautiful to behold. Forty years later, This same a king named Abimelech that Abraham lied to, now Isaac lies to. And Isaac says word for word what Abraham said. He said, she is my sister. So what you begin to see here, the very same weakness, the very same tendency that Abraham had is now in Isaac. So remember. One of the views or analogy to help you with iniquity is it's like a tree. And when the wind blows this direction, that tree begins to lean to this direction. And so that's how generational iniquity looks. So Abraham began to yield the line and he began to bend this way. But Isaac begins to bend a little more and a little more and a little more. And so as the generational iniquity goes on, that if it's not purged, it gets stronger. Keep reading, verse number 8. Now it came to pass, when he'd been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw there was Isaac showing endearment or affection to Rebekah, his wife. Then Abimelech called Isaac and he said, quite obvious, pal, she's your wife. That's not in there, pal. 
So how could you say, she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I said, least I die on account of her. So when fear, when the pressure of man came after Isaac, he did exactly what his father did. And I'm wondering if Abimelech looks at him and says, Father, like son, the apple didn't fall far from this tree. So Abimelech says to him in verse 10, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife, and you had brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He who touches this man or this wife shall surely be put to death. So when you look at this, you have to ask yourself, where do you think Isaac learned this trick from? Came from his father. Now, put this in your home right now. Put this in your life. By my actions and my choices, I define and I shape the morals of my children. I shape the values of my children. Your actions are copied by your children. So a lot of times our thoughts as parents is, I want my kids to have a great car. I want my kids to have the greatest education. I want my children to have the greatest clothes, the greatest electronics, the greatest this and that's. I want my children to live in a great house. There's something wrong with those? No. Except when they're out of order. The greatest thing we can give our children is the way we live before them. And some of you may say, I don't want that pressure. Too late. You chose to have that little blessing. And so quit living selfish. I'm speaking to myself. Quit living like I'm more important. God's blessed us. And you see over and over in the Bible the blessing of the generational blessing. From Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph. So now we see the second generation of lion. Turn a book to Genesis 27. This guy, Isaac, and his wife, Rebekah, they have two sons in this order. Esau and Jacob. Now bear with me, this is a little long, but we're going to read it. Verse 1, Genesis 27. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered him, Here I am. Then he said, Behold, now I'm old. I do not know the day of my death. Now therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. Now this was the way he was going to honor his father. Verse 4. And make me savory food, such as I love, and bring it to me, that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, in their custom, the blessing literally meant for me to transfer the blessing, and it usually went to the oldest son. So right here, Isaac says, I want to bless you. Pronouncing the blessing on his son. Verse 5. Now, Rebekah, the mama, was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau's son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. 
So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make me savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring for me their two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. Now, does that look like deception to you? That has deception written all over it. Verse 11. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth-skinned man. Now, that may tell you a little bit about your heritage, okay? If you're a hairy person, you probably got some Esau in you. This has nothing to do with today's sermon, okay? I'm just throwing that out. But when you see what Jacob says right here in this passage, he wasn't the least bit concerned with his mother's deceitfulness. You know what I believe in his heart was? He was more concerned about getting caught than doing what was right. Verse 12. Pay very close attention to this verse. Perhaps my father will fill me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver. You know the word Jacob means supplanter or deceiver? And to him, now listen, I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. How would he bring a curse upon himself? By choosing to deceive Remember Proverbs 26, 2, a curse without a cause cannot land. But when there is a cause, you can always go back and realize the curse is going to come with it. And he speaks it out of his mouth. Verse number 13, but his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son, only obey my voice and go get them for me. What a mom. Way to go, mama. She not only endorsed sin, she encouraged it. Look what happens. And he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made the savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son, Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on smooth part of his neck. And she went to great work here. I wonder if she used Gorilla Glue. Just a thought. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. The third generation of lying. Blatantly. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, 
Because the Lord your God brought it to me. Now that's crazy. Not only is he lying, now he's bringing God into the game. God did it. God blessed me. And when you study Jacob's life, he, he faced destruction and he literally ran from his brother Esau for the rest of his life. He caused great pain by what he did. But again, if someone doesn't rise up and say, we're going to purge this, you begin to see that God visits the iniquities of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation. So now this guy named Jacob, he has a family. He has 12 sons. The first 10, they despised the 11th one. His name was Joseph. They hated him. And the reason that occurred, because Joseph was a daddy's boy. Joseph is the one that had this great dream that all his brothers one day would bow down and worship before him. And not only was he a daddy's boy, daddy made him this coat or this tunic of all these colors and he put it on him. And so everywhere that Joseph went, it reminded his brothers, he's a daddy's boy. So one day, daddy sends Joseph out to check on his brothers as they're out tending to the sheep. And Joseph thinks they're all going to be thrilled to see him. And when they show up, they don't welcome him. Instead, they take him and ultimately sell him as a slave to the Ishmaelites. And so now, the ten older brothers have got to figure out, what do we tell daddy? Go with me to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis 37, and I just want to read a couple verses, starting in verse 31. So they, the older ten brothers, took Joseph's tunic, his coat. They killed the kid of the goats, and they dipped the tunic in the blood. Now what's written all over that? Deception. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, we have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And, and Jacob recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him without doubt. Joseph is torn to pieces. So you know what they say basically? Daddy, an animal killed Joseph. And so now you see the fourth generation of lying. And this one caused great pain. Great pain to, to, to daddy, Jacob. He could hardly get over this. And it caused great pain to the ten when they realized what they had done. And then you think about Joseph's own life. But the end of this story, God took what looked like was meant for evil and God turned it to good. Because one named Joseph walked in forgiveness. Now I got two more passages I got to show you here today to help us with this. Go to Psalm 119, the 119th Psalm. So what you just saw there 
was the inherited spiritual dynamics. Psalm 119 is where we're heading. It's a long psalm here, the longest psalm of them all. I'm going to begin verse 133. Listen to King David's his words here. Direct my steps by your word. Now the word of God, it gives divine guidance. The word of God is literally our blueprint for life. But God will not force us to live by it. If you don't want to live by it, don't. But understand there's going to be some consequences. So he said, direct my step by your word and let no iniquity, sin, have dominion, rule, or power over me. So in essence here, David was saying, Father God, I know if my steps will be directed by your word, the truth will set me free. If I'll learn to live by the truth of the word of God. Where's that? That's John 8, 31 and 32. He said, if you abide in me, then my truth or my word will set you free. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. Verse 134. Redeem me from the oppression of man. I believe to a sense that David knew there were certain people that if I ran with them, there was going to be oppression. How many of you have ever run with the snakes and got bitten? I have. And that's what David was talking about here. Sometimes one of the ways you can determine your future, just look who you're running with. Now do you shout amen or do you shout on me right now? Because a lot of times, the very people you're running with, it'll give you a pretty good view of who you're going to be like. That I may keep your precepts. That I may keep your word. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Rivers or tears of water run down my, my eyes because men do not keep your law. Men do not keep your word. So right there in that passage, he's telling me, man, there's iniquity in my life, but I know if I'll obey your word. There's power in the word. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is alive and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. When I live by the word, not just that I know the word, but I live by the word. Now go to Psalm 119. Not 119, but 19, and this will be our last verse here. Psalm 119. Begin with me in verse number 8. The statutes or the commands of the Lord are right. The commands of the Lord are perfect. Rejoicing or bringing joy to the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, is clear, enlightening the eyes or giving insight for living. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever, a lifetime guarantee. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. The word of God is more desirable than gold, yea, than much fine gold or the finest gold. The word of God is sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. 
Verse 11. Moreover, by them, by your word, your servant is warned. The word of God will warn us, okay? And this is what he's telling me right here. And in keeping or observing them or your word, there is great reward. There's great reward for people that obey the word of God. Now, I said this last week. That if you see blessing in your life, it didn't just happen. Someone chose to obey God. And you're a benefactor of it. You reap the blessing of it. Verse 12. Who can understand his errors or the sin in his heart? Cleanse me from secret faults or hidden faults. Now that is big right there. Cleanse me. How do I become cleansed from sin or secret or hidden faults in my heart? 1 John 1.9 says, That if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just not only to forgive us, but to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So he gives me a nugget right there. You want to be cleansed from your hidden faults and errors? Learn to repent. Now think about this with the word repent. You know what repentance is? It's me taking ownership of my choices. It's me standing before God and say, Father God, I've sinned. I've blown it. And I'm not going to blame anybody by me. I chose to sin. So he says, cleanse me from my secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous or deliberate sin. Help me to stay away from it. Let them sin the presumptuous sins not have dominion, control, or rule over me, then I shall be blameless, free of guilt, and I shall be innocent or cleansed of the great transgression of sin. So when I look at this, I can't live in deception. I can't live in denial. I I can't have this thought. It's okay. What's the matter with a little sin, just as long as it's ever now and then? It's okay. Everybody else is doing it. See, that's, that's deception. And we have this invisible umbilical cord within every one of us that feeds my todays with yesterday's pains, with yesterday's hurts, with yesterday's guilt, and with yesterday's shame even. But something happens. When I repent. Now anytime you're dealing with generational stuff in your life. It won't just go away because you get older. Well surely he'll outgrow that. And I used to have people tell me that. He's got a huge problem with alcohol. But surely he'll outgrow that. Not. The only way I get set free. Is I do what the Lord asked me. What did he ask me? Number one. Repent. What do I repent from? This is where it gets on the inside of our hearts. I have to acknowledge the things in my life that have dominated me. 
And no matter what it is, don't try to candy coat it. Just call it what it is. Stand before God and say, Father God, I am a da-da-da-da-da. And you fill in the blank. And then repent of it. And what did he say? He said, if you'll repent of your sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. Something gets severed. But not only do I repent of it, one of the definitions of repentance is to do a 180. You know what that means? Turn. Quit doing it. How do I do that? Father, grace me. Grace me. Holy Ghost, help me today. And then one of the other steps that oftentimes leads to this, if you have unforgiveness in your heart toward a parent, a mom or dad, or even a grandparent. And you know what you got to do? Father God, I forgive them. I forgive them. We'll really dig into that next week, okay? Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.